Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, one verse. We're just going to look at one verse, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, and a message I've entitled Christian Contentment. Christian Contentment. Let's look at verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 13. A verse about contentment. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be, what's the next word, everyone? Content and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, say the last phrase with me, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Don't be covetous. Be content with what you have because God has told us he will never leave us. I would suggest this morning at the start that Christian contentment is the most sublime condition on this side of heaven. It's the most sublime condition on earth to be a Christian and to be content. The book of Proverbs says that a person that has a merry heart, has merriness in their heart, has a continual feast. They continually feast on life. How do they get that condition? Well, the next verse says, better is a little with the fear of the Lord. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. That person has a merry heart because they're content. And because of that, they have a continual feast. What is Christian contentment? Christian contentment is to say, God is enough. Would you say that with me? God is enough. God is enough. God is enough. And beyond that, it's to say what, what I have is enough, what God's given me is enough, what I have, who I am, who God's made me, that's enough, and where God has led, led me. I'm content with what I have, I'm content with who I am, I'm content with where God has led me. That's Christian contentment. We live in a consumeristic culture. We live in a celebrity worship culture. We live in a social media comparison culture. That's why there's an epidemic in our age of discontentment. The good news for you and I today is that we can live with contentment. It's not an elusive virtue for the Christian. Without Christ, without Christ it is. Any contentment that you might feel like you're experiencing is contrived. It's artificial. Only God can produce this sublime condition in your spirit. It's a spiritual thing and only God can give it. But the good news is we can have it. We can have real and lasting contentment in our life. And this verse charts the way. So let's look at this short verse, and what we'll see, first of all, is that a contented Christian looks to the law. A contented Christian looks to the law. Notice the start of the verse. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Now, this may be uh, surprising to you that I would say that. That a contented Christian looks to the law, but what you see here in the first phrase is a restatement of the moral law of God. Now, this is, a, this is about to be an hour lecture that I'm going to do in five minutes. Who's with me, okay? 
this is an hour lecture I'm going to do in five minutes, so stay with me, I'm going to go quick. But there are some today who are promoting behind the pulpit in books and otherwise the, the, the idea that a Christian has no relationship to the Ten Commandments. And they quote the verses that say that we are not under the law. In the book of Romans, in the book of Galatians, Paul said we are not under the law. So if we're not under the law, well then the Ten Commandments does not relate to us today. But I believe this is a misunderstanding. When Paul said we are not under the law, he is saying we are not under the burden of the Mosaic legal system and all of its penalties. That's what he was saying that we are not under the law. When he said we're under grace but not under the law, that's what he meant. In another passage, Pastor Redlin is preaching on this in Romans and we're loving this series and he's, he's, he's doing it so well and he's in Romans 8 and in Romans 8, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit enters into our heart. And this is part of the new covenant. It, it, the law is written on our heart through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit helps us to fulfill the law. He helps us to fulfill the law. So then, the moral law of God, which is summarized in the Ten Commandments, becomes a gauge to measure your Christian growth. If you're growing as a Christian, you're lying less. This is pretty obvious. If we're growing as a Christian, we're putting God above other things. We're not taking his name in vain. We are, we, are, we, are not, we are not coveting. We are coveting less as we grow. We, yes, we are motivated by love, but we look to the law. That's why nine out of the ten of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament in different form. Only the memorial Sabbath is not repeated as, as, as an obligation. But Jesus himself said, if you love me, Keep my commandments. This is called by Paul the law of Christ. The law of Christ is to love God and love your neighbor. And that's a summary of the Ten Commandments. To love God and your neighbor. This is called the law of Christ in Galatians 6.2. In James 1.25, the Bible is called the perfect law of liberty. Even though we are responding to an inward motivation, not an outward motivation, it's not restriction that we respond to, it's the love of God. The love of God leads us to moral compulsion. The love of God actually leads us to a higher moral compulsion than the law by itself ever could. I, I use this illustration. Let's picture a police officer, okay? And he's doing his daily uh, beat in his car and, and he hears a call that comes over his radio and it's about, it's about a van that was hit in an intersection and it's on fire. Now, he turns around his car, puts on his lights and takes off toward the scene as he should. But then he hears a description of the van and he, he, he comes to, 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 to realize that that is his van. That is his wife, his children. That's a description of his own vehicle, or at least it sounds like it. Now, he was going fast to the accident. I ask you, is he going to go a little faster? He's going to go a little faster. So let's say he arrives on the scene and he finds the van in the intersection there on fire. There are people standing. They're standing there on the sidewalk watching the scene. There's nothing legally obligating them to give their life, to go through a fire and 
pull people out. So they're standing. Somebody called the police. So they did their civic duty there. But he shows up on the scene. What does he do? He throws open the door of his car. He runs to the van. And at the risk of his life, he goes through the fire. And he pulls his wife and children out. What motivated him? Love. Love led him to that compulsion. Love is the highest motivation. It's the highest motivation. It leads to morality and liberty. That's why the Bible's called the perfect law of liberty. It's a great, it leads us to greater action than the law itself. So why is there a, a restatement in a different form of thou shall not covet? In fact, look how it reads. Let your conversation be without covetousness. No covetousness, that's the standard. You say, I'm not sufficient. That's why we need the grace of God. I'm not sufficient either, but that's the standard I'm reaching toward by the grace of God, not as a lifelong standard because I would never reach it, but as a momentary standard, I resist the thoughts of covetousness in my heart. I ask God to make me content. I look to the law of God and say, Lord, help me fulfill this. I don't want my life to be a life of covetousness. I want to be content. Lord, make me content. Notice, notice the author of Hebrews puts covetousness and contentment side by side. One is a vice, the other is a virtue. They're complete opposites. It's an opposite condition in your spirit by default. If you're not covetous, you're content. If you're not content, you're covetous. Notice the word conversation. This word, he says, let your conversation be without covetousness. In modern times, that word has been limited to our speech, but that's unfortunate because the word doesn't mean that. The word has a broader meaning. The Greek word that it was translated into in the Bible, the Latin word from which we get the English word converse means to turn around. It means the interaction of my whole life with others. The interaction of my whole life with others. We could say it this way. Let your conduct, your entire interaction with other people, including your speech, let it be without, devoid of covetousness. We need God's grace to reach the standard. We need to look to the standard, understand the standard, and this causes us to beg for the grace of God to, to remove covetousness from our heart. It's one of the most subtle sins. It's a sin of which we are the least aware at times. What is it? It's a dissatisfaction with what God has given us. It's an over-eagerness for more. It's a lustful, lustful longing for what we don't have, which turns into an occupation and then an obsession. And we no longer find our satisfaction in God. And what God has provided for us. This takes on many forms. An inordinate desire for acceptance. We want to be liked so much. They're willing to do whatever we can to be liked and accepted. Honor, fame, money. That's what we usually think about. Things, pleasure. Forbidden relationships. If I could just have that, I'll be happy. If I could just be like that, I'd be happy. If I could... Just be with that person, that would do it. 
It's one of the most undetected sins, but it's one of the most serious. I would contend that the Ten Commandments are couched in it. The first commandment starts with basically don't put anything above God in your life, which says don't be covetous. God number one, make God number one. The last commandment says don't covet. And so we, we must see the seriousness of the sin in our heart. It breeds doubt. It blinds our judgment. It causes us to complain. Instead of gratitude, there's greed and griping. It keeps us from putting our whole heart into the service of God. Today, we must all search our heart and say, God, is there any covetousness in our heart? Take it from me. Make me content. Make me content. So first of all, we see that a contented Christian looks to the law, and I, I hope I was able to explain that well. Looks to the law, and we, we understand what that means. Number two, and, and this is just basic, but notice in the passage how it reads. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. There it is, pretty simple. A, a contented Christian lives within limits. They're contented with God's blessing in their life. They're contented with what God has given. It's not, that they, it's not that they don't desire more to some extent in a good way that God will bless them again. Of course they want God's blessing to continue. It's, it's not that at all. It's that they're not overextending themselves to get it. They're not, they're not neglecting other priorities in their life like, like their family in the service of the Lord to get that thing. And so they say, God, I'm going to live within the limits of your blessing in my life. I seek your blessing and whatever you give me, I'm content. This is a great challenge because there's countless reasons to be covetous all around us. The, the list is endless. And I found this humorous story. It was humorous to me. I hope it is to you as well. But it also makes a good point. This was James Emery White and he wrote this about his struggle with covetousness. I sat down and looked through some magazines this past week. I discovered that to live right, I need a Nordic track. I don't have a Nordic track. Suddenly, I realized that I didn't feel as healthy as I thought I did. I then read that if I want to be stylish, I need a Toyota Camry. Our family van was in the shop. I'm driving the old Mercury Sable. That felt bad enough then I saw that if I really wanted to feel like I was in the spring season, I had to dress for the spring season and the only place for that is Dillard's. I knew I wouldn't have a chance to go to Dillard's that week. I would add I can hardly afford Dillard's who's with me. Uh, anyway, sorry about that. They do have some good discounts. I saw that shirts were 60% off. Everybody run there this afternoon. Anyway. Suddenly, the beautiful spring weather just didn't seem that beautiful. I wasn't dressed for it. It didn't get any better. I liked my house until I saw a new development ad. I thought my family was close until I realized we didn't have a season pass to the amusement park. I thought I loved my wife, but since I hadn't bought her a diamond necklace from the jewelry store, I was informed that I didn't. I found out that I can't even be romantic with my wife unless we use Sylvania light bulbs. Wouldn't you know it, we have GE. By the time I finished with the magazine, I wasn't just depressed, I needed counseling. <laughs> okay.
Can you relate to that? McDonald's. McDonald's, they were genius when they came up with this marketing ploy, the Happy Meal. Happy Meal. If I just buy my kids this little $5 bag with a toy inside, they'll be happy. Oh, it worked. Do you know they make $10 million of revenue a day on Happy Meals? How many of you loved Happy Meals as a kid? Raise your hand. Come on, raise it proudly. How many of you still buy them? Raise your hand. Don't raise your hand on that. Anyway. Oh, man, you open it up and look for the little toy inside. Our house was full of little toys. They were everywhere. You know what's happened as adults? Our mindset is the same. Our toys just get bigger. If I could just have that car, I'd be happy. If I could just have that house. If I could just look like her, look like him, have what he has. If I could just be that. If I could just be there. If I could just be there. It's a challenge to live with contentment because the pull to covetousness is all around us. In order to be content, we have to live within the limits of God's blessing. I like what one commentator said. He said, it's, it's better to want what you have than to have what you want. It's better to want what you have than to have what you want. In Acts 17, 28, the Bible says, in him we live and move and have our being. In God, his pervasive presence, he fills the universe. In God, we live and move and have our being. We owe our very existence to God. None of us decided to be born. How did we get here on this planet? God allowed us to exist in his universe and in him we live and move and have our being. We owe our existence to God. We're breathing his air. We're standing on his planet. Our life is not our own. We should be grateful for our existence. James 1.17 says this, every good gift coming from above. Any good thing in your life came from God, whether you know it or not. Every good thing. If, if we were spiritually aware, if we were spiritually aware, we'd be praising God all the time because there's a plethora of ways that God has communicated virtue. It's all around us. Thank God for trees. Thank God for clouds. Thank God for the rain. Thank God for ice cream. Can I get an amen? Thank God for ice cream. <laughs> Whoever came up with that, thank God for them. Comes nine o'clock, got to have that bowl of ice cream. Thank God for water. Thank God for a hot shower. Thank God for food. Thank God, thank God. God is good. God is good. Romans 8, 28, to the Christian, God says, all things work together for good. Even the seeming bad things God works in the mix for good. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Romans 8, 32. How shall he not with him freely give us all things? God is so good. When we're not content, we're saying to God that we know better than he does. He doesn't know what's best for, for our well-being. We're not happy with what he's given us. But to be content is to say, God, you're enough in what you've given me is enough. I'm thankful. 
I'm grateful. Deuteronomy 26.11 says that we should rejoice in every good thing which the Lord has given. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. So a contented Christian, let's look at it once again, looks to the law. Let your conversation be without covetousness. That's the standard. A contented Christian lives within limits and be content with such things as you have. And then last of all, a contented Christian leans on the Lord. For it is written, I will never leave you or forsake you. God said, you have all that you need to be content. If you'll lean on me. Leaning is a dependent position. It, it's, it's to support your weight on something else or somebody else. And God said, I'm here for you. Lean on me. I will never leave you. Another passage says, don't lean on the arm of flesh. Put God first. Now, God sometimes uses human means of support. That's how he does his work. The Holy Spirit's called the comforter. How does he do that sometimes? He brings people to comfort you. That's how. So yes, there is that human means of support, but it's God first. God first. God using these things in my life. And so I look to God. Look at the next verse. We won't, I won't preach on the next verse, but just quickly say the first phrase. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Verse 6. The Lord is my helper. If you have God in your life, you have all the grounds you need to be content. One commentator said, if you have the Lord, you have it all. You have all you need. God is always with you. If you're depending ultimately on yourself or others or outward provision alone for satisfaction, you're going to succumb to contentment, which is a condition of frustration. Because those things never fully satisfy, do they? They don't. You say, I'd like to try and see, Pastor Zach. I'd like to find out. Well, we have, the, we have the writings of Solomon. And he said, I had it all, everything I wanted I had. And it was vanity. So let's just take his word for it. If you're born again by the grace of God, God is always with you. You have God in your life and what he provides, and that's enough. Let's look at Philippians 4, 11 through 13. I'm going to read it, and you read, you read the last phrase with me, okay? You read the last phrase with me. Uh, Philippians, this is a classic passage on, Philippians, uh, on contentment, Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Paul said, not that I uh, speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I'm instructed to be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. Read the last verse with me. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. We rarely hear that verse in its context. It's in the context of contentment. I've learned to be content because I can do all things through Christ. I've learned how to abound and to be abased. In fact, I would suggest to you that, that they go together. They work together. You'll notice a few things here quickly. Contentment is a learned condition. You can learn it. You can acquire it. Thinking about God, what God has done for you. Uh, accepting his purpose in your life. Realizing that worry does nothing. 
and complaint doesn't add any value to your life. Say, I, I, God, I'm gonna, I want to receive this knowledge from you. I want to learn contentment. You'll notice that you can learn it in any state of life. In fact, abundance would have little meaning without adversity. You'd never desire to eat to the full unless you were hungry at times. You, were, you would never be able to calculate any degree of fullness unless you went without food for a while. Abounding and abasing. There's this ebb and flow of life. And Paul said, I've learned to be content in any condition. I want to bring up this curious image, okay? This is from Enterprise, Alabama, okay? Enterprise, Alabama. And if you go downtown, you'll see this beautiful woman statue holding a beetle above her head. How many of you have ever seen this? You ever been there and see this? Okay, a few people. There, it, it's odd. Why is she holding a beetle above her head? Well, in, in 1915, the boll weevil had destroyed 60% of the cotton crop in the South. This forced many of the Southern farmers to abandon growing cotton and change to growing peanuts. In 1917, the peanut industry had become so profitable in enterprise that their county harvested more peanuts than any other county in the United States, bringing great wealth to their area. And so in gratitude, the town erects a statue that has a plaque nearby that's, that has these words inscribed, in profound appreciation for the boll weevil and what it has done for the herald of prosperity. The instrument of pain had become an instrument of prosperity. Paul said, I've learned how to be abased and abound. Abounding, abasing, abasing that even leads to abounding. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Humble yourself. Humble yourself before God and he will exalt you in due time, in time on earth and eternity. God has some great rewards for the contented Christian in eternity. So our passage tells us the Lord is with us. We can be content. Philippians 4.13 says contentment comes from Christ. I can do all things through Christ. I've learned how to be content in any state, in any condition of life. I've learned how to be content because... I have Christ in my life. And God is enough. Our passage in Hebrews 13, 5 says he will never leave us or forsake us. He will never leave us or forsake us. We can be content because God is always with us. And as I thought about this, the passage that came to my mind quickly was Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for the Lord is with me, right? God is with me. His rod and staff, they comfort me. And then there's this curious phrase. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
I looked up the word follow and here's what I found. In other places in the Old Testament, the same Hebrew word is translated pursue. Pursue. So I'm heading down through life if I get the image right and I look over my right shoulder and there's goodness. I'm, I'm a believer. I have God in my life. Goodness is always there. It's always, it's right there. I look over my left shoulder, there's mercy. Always with me, always with me. I can turn around at any time and do one of these, okay? Goodness and mercy are pursuing me. They're following after me. When I get to the place of my last breath on earth, they're gonna give me a little nudge. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, forever. God's with me in life. God's with me in death. God will be with me in heaven. I have everything I need to be content. We have everything we need to be content.